we say it at Community Grace that our mission or our vision is simply to make Jesus known. That's why we exist, to make him known. The question then, I think, is there's a number of questions we can ask. One is why. I don't think we're going to try to answer that. I think the text makes it clear that we ought to. But, but then the, the question is, are we actually making Jesus known? And I think that's a fair question. But then thirdly, do we want to? And when I look at our text today, I think it's about making Jesus known. Now, I, I think you could say that every text in Scripture is about Jesus and making him known. But today's text isn't very subtle about it. It, it just shouts, shouts it out. And so let's work through our text this morning. And um, yes, it's still morning. No, it's afternoon. Let's work through our text and, and in two ways, two sections. The first one I see is the event, and the second section I see is the word. The event and the word. Now, the event is Christ's birth. And it's actually quite surprisingly small in content. Verses 1 through 7, but really even smaller than that, it talks about his birth. And then there's what I call the word or the angel's interpretation of the event. And that's verses 8 through 21. And that is quite detailed in comparison to the event. Okay, you following, tracking with me? Um, let's carry on. Let's ponder, using that word, because that's a word that we learned last week, and it's a word we're going to see in, in about Mary this week as well. Let's ponder the event, verses 1 through 7. And there's a lot we could say, but let's simply just simply talk about there's two kings in this text, verses 1 through 7. There's Caesar Augustus, and there's David. Caesar Augustus is the is the uh, the power, the great power of the day. David is the dead king of a thousand years ago. Caesar Augustus, we're told uh, by, um, well, let me read. Edward says this. Augustus built the Roman Forum. He founded libraries. He sponsored lavish spectacles for the populace. And he boasted that he had found Rome built in brick, but he left it in marble. Augustus was the first emperor to encourage a cult to deify his name and reign. So the first one that says, I'm a god. According to legend, Augustus, like Alexander the Great, had been miraculously conceived by a serpent. An inscription discovered at Priend and dated at 9 B.C., hails Augustus as a god whose birthday signaled the beginning of good news. It's interesting. Good news for the world. There's another inscription uh, is in the British Museum that has been preserved. It says, Augustus is the father of his divine homeland Rome, inherited from his father Zeus, the goddess Zeus, god Zeus, and a savior of the common folk. His foresight not only fulfilled the entreaties of all people, but surpassed them, making peace for land and sea, while cities bloom with order, harmony, and good seasons. The productivity of all things is good, and at its prime there are 
fond hopes for the future and goodwill during the present which fills all men so that they ought to bear a pleasing sacrifice and hymns these inscriptions identify augustus as god the son of god a savior and they associate him with peace hope and good news i read that and i was like fascinated because in reality the scriptures say this about jesus augustus is the one that we're told that sent out a decree across the Roman Empire that was put into effect by Quirinius, the governor of Syria, that a census should be taken, and this particular census was probably so that they could tax the people. It showed their power, it showed his power, it showed his, his strength, his might, and all of those things. And then in complete contrast, you have Joseph and Mary, Joseph from the family of David, King David, who's been gone a thousand years, And he goes, he's a servant of Augustus because he has to go to the, what is it, 110 kilometers uphill to uh, Bethlehem from his town of Nazareth to be registered so that they can know what kind of taxes they ought to take from him. And while he's there, they're looking for a place to stay, likely a guest house where he, he could stay so his, his pregnant, engaged, betrothed wife, I would say, can have a baby. There's no place for them. And when she gives birth, we're simply told that she wraps them in swaddling cloths, and there's nothing significant about that other than that was common in the day. And just again displays how common this was, but then laid him in a feed trough. And you see the two differences, the great differences between Augustus and Jesus. That's the event. And, and when I think about it, Jesus shows up in the world, born, no room for him in the end. There's, he's laid in a feed trough. He's wrapped in swaddling cloths. Uh, he's obscure. There's poverty. All of those pieces. And, and my question is, is this how God makes Jesus known? Is this how God makes Jesus known? I'm just going to leave that question and go on to ponder the second section of our text, and that's the Word, verses 8 to the end of 21. Let's notice, first of all, the recipients of the Word. There were shepherds out in the field. We've heard the story. You've probably, if you grew up in a church background, you probably have a vision of kids wearing bath towels on their heads and bed uh, what are those robes? And so there's a sentimental picture here, but that's not the idea. This is real history. These are real men taking care of their flocks at night. They were lowly people. They were a bottom of the social status of the day. They were known in culture as thieves. You can't trust them. Don't leave anything out. The shepherds at night will come and take them. And if you wanted a witness in a court of law, you could not use a shepherd. They were that despised. They were, there was that much lack of trust. And yet it's to them 
that the angel comes and gives them the word. I find that interesting because later when Jesus is growing and he begins his, his ministry in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. It's almost in keeping with that spirit that God begins the ministry or the life of Jesus by bringing good news to the poor, the shepherds. The messengers were told, uh, initially it's an angel in verse 9, the angel of the Lord. Maybe this is Gabriel. Remember, we've already met Gabriel. Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. It could very well be Gabriel. It might be another angel. An angel of the Lord appears. And we're told there's a, there's, there's a glory, there's a shining. And the shepherds are, are afraid. Much like Zechariah was and much like Mary was. These angels then speak words. Quite frankly, I'm grateful for these words. If it wasn't for these words, we'd have no idea of what took place. Or at least even understanding it. And, and, and quite frankly, the world may have missed it. But what do the angels say? They begin by saying, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy who will be for all the people, literally all the nations, not just the Jews, not just the Romans, but for all people. Reminiscent of what John says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He then goes on, For unto you is born this day in the city of David. And he says three things. He's a Savior. We saw that uh, idea come up last week in chapter 1, verse 77, when Zechariah is prophesying. And he says that his child will be called the prophet of the Most High and, and will prepare the way for him. And then he says to give knowledge of salvation to his people. And he describes that deliverance as the forgiveness of their sins. I can hear the angels understanding for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. The reality is the angels are speaking of a savior that's coming to deliver but it's different than the savior named Augustus. Augustus came to bring peace on this level somewhat. But Jesus came to deliver people from their sins. Well, the, 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 the angel doesn't stop there. He's not only saying he's a savior, but the angel says that he is Christ and Lord. Literally in the, in the, in the original, it's just Christ Lord. Two words just stuck together. Christ is the, the word that we get the word Messiah from. 
the anointed one, and typically that means king, but as we've been looking at uh, Hebrews, it also can mean priest. The priest was anointed. Also the prophet. Jesus is the anointed one, the one that was promised, the one who's coming. And then the angel says he's also Lord. Now that, that word could simply mean master, but, but the Septuagint uses that term, the Greek translation of the Old Testament uses that term to, to translate the Hebrew word Yahweh, which, is a, which means not only is he Messiah, but he is God. Or as Matthew says, Emmanuel, God with us. The angels proclaiming, and the, and, the, and the shepherds are like, for all the world, good news for all the world, he's a Savior, he's uh, Christ, and he's Lord. He's the promised one, and he's God himself. And then he says, there's gonna, here's the sign for you. Here's how you will know. And you think it might be, go to Bethlehem, and there will be a neon light flashing, and Or, or, or go to Bethlehem and, and there'll be an earthquake or something significant or smoke will come out of a mountain or you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feed trough. If the angels had not said that to somebody, would that event have just simply passed on and only been in the memory of Mary and Joseph? Ultimately, it's God who reveals. It's God who makes himself known. And he does so by proclaiming his word. In this context, he does it through the, the angels. Now, we, we want to continue to ponder what's happening because it's not only that language, that word, but, but then there is, and I believe it's a song, be, the angels begin to sing. It seems like the angel of the Lord has spoken and now the angels join him and there's this great chorus, this great song and they say in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I think the angels saw what was taking place and were astounded. In Isaiah chapter 6, we're told of the angelic beings who stand in the presence of God and how they cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. That's what they do in His presence, astounded at who He is, just in awe of Him. In John chapter 12, we're told of this vision that Isaiah actually, what he saw was Jesus. So when Isaiah saw these angels shouting, holy, 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 to the one that was on the throne, John tells us that what Isaiah saw was Jesus. And I think those same angels are so amazed that God, 
the one they cry out holy, holy, holy to is the one who enters this world in a feed trough. I think they got something that we sometimes fail to get, and that is 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Let me read that again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that though he was the one in the heavens, that the angels cried, holy, 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 holy to. Yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Paul is writing that to the church in Corinth. The church in Corinth was a wealthy church. They were a city that had money. They were a city probably much like our day and age. And by what he says, Paul says here, is that they were actually poor. The truth is that everyone, whether we admit it or not, because of our depravity, because of our sinfulness, because of our wrongdoing, because of our shortcoming, because of our rebellion to God, because we, don't, we refuse to listen to him, we refuse to obey him, whatever we want to put in that, in, that, in that language, because of that, we're actually poor. We are the shepherd. The angels were marveling at God's grace and God's incredible love. The Apostle Paul tells us that we ought to marvel as well. What was the shepherd's response? Pretty simple. Verse 15, when the angels went away, and all of a sudden go, it got pitch dark again. If you've ever been on the prairie, it's dark. All they saw was a few stars in the heavens at that point, and it was dark suddenly, and the shepherds go, let us go over to Bethlehem. They respond in faith. They, 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 they don't go, these guys got to be crazy. What, why would we want to go see a baby? Maybe this was a bad dream. Maybe we really didn't see that. No, they just go. Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. And then notice what, the, they, they, what do they do in verse 16. And they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph, the baby laying in a manger. And when they saw it, when they saw the event, when they saw the child, when they saw the child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a feed trough, when they saw it, what did they do? They made known the saying. They started telling people what the angels had said. And the way it's actually worded is they couldn't help but talk about it. It just bubbled over. 
The response was one of faith. The response was one of they can't help but talk about it. And then the response was, verse 20, they returned back to their regular life, their unassuming, poverty-stricken, bottom of the totem pole, where everybody thought they were thieves. That life, they went back there, but they went back praising God. Their situation didn't change. they knew was different. Now we see in this text a couple of other responses. One of them is in verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. We saw that word last week, wondered. When, when, when Mary, when, when uh, Elizabeth gives birth, the people wondered. They were amazed. It's the same word that we find Peter using, or used of Peter when he sees and discovers that the tomb of Jesus is now empty. And he's amazed. And the people who heard the shepherds talking about what they had heard the angel say were amazed. Now, being amazed does not mean faith. Simply, they were in awe. Whether these individuals were led to believe is is not we're not told. But they were amazed. And in verse 19, we hear Mary's response. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. We're told. We heard that last week too, didn't we? I'm thinking of Luke chapter eight. Jesus later will tell a parable of one who cast the seed, cast the word, the good news of Jesus. And, and, and some of the word falls on, on ground that is hard and, and, and it doesn't respond, it doesn't grow. Others are, are cast in within the weeds and, and it gets choked out. But in verse 15 of Luke chapter 8, we're told, and as for that in the good soil, soil they are those who are who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I think as we look at the story of Mary, she's the one who hears these sayings, the word of God, as what God said to the angels, and she hides it in her heart. She ponders it, she treasures it, and it begins to transform her and change her. It produces fruit. What do we do with all this? Let me just make a couple of observations to conclude today, okay? One is obscurity. I find it fascinating that when God does something great, it's usually in obscurity. I, I think back to the Old Testament, Gideon. He's, he's scared, and the angel shows up and calls him a mighty warrior. And with just a handful of people, he defeats the enemy. We, we think of the nation Israel. There was nothing special about the nation of Israel. That's what God says about them. 
and he chooses them, he picks them, and he works through them. We, we think of the, the, the story of most of the disciples that Jesus will choose. Or we think of the church at Corinth that God picks. He says, not many of you were lovely, not many of you were wise, not many of a noble birth, uh, not many of great wealth. He speaks, seems to do, he seems to work in that way. In obscurity. I find that comforting. That God could take someone like Elroy and use me. That God could take someone like each one of us and use us and work through us. I think of our church Community Grace. We are an obscure little church in the heart of the city of Calgary, and I think it's going to take eyes of faith to see that God can use us. Another reflection, humility. Humility. We started with the Philippians passage where Jesus humbled himself, right? Became a servant even though he's none other than God. But we also looked at the shepherds. And we heard the, the, the words of Jesus when he begins his preaching ministry. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The Christian message is a message that only lands and takes root in the ears of those who are humble. Those who admit that they need a Savior. Those who admit that they, they, they aren't good enough on their own. So obscurity, humility. As I reflect on this passage, I think of the importance of the words of Christ, the Word of God. Romans paints it this way. Romans chapter... 10 and verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If our neighbors, if our friends, if our family members who don't know Jesus, the only way they're going to understand anything about him is if we share with them what God has said about himself. The word of Christ. Here's where the power is. Finally, as I sit and reflect upon this passage, I, I can't but stop and think about the love of God. That passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is, it ought to be etched in our brain, but let me read it one more time. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I think if we truly understand that, if we truly believe that, we'd be so overwhelmed by the love of God that it, it'll just overflow. I think the shepherds were... Why would you pick us? Why would you choose us to tell this story to? Why would you have us be the ones that pass this message on? The, the world wouldn't have looked at the shepherds 
to bring across this message, but, but God did. I, I think we should be just as amazed. Just as amazed. Just as overwhelmed. Obscurity. Humility. The words of Christ and the love of God. As, as you take this Christmas, I know some of you might be traveling, some of you will be with family, but I hope you have an opportunity to, like Mary, ponder the story. Let it root in the heart and the mind and the, the deepest parts of your, your inner beings. May you be overwhelmed by what God has done. Let's pray. Father, we have looked at how you spoke by an angel to Zechariah. Later, you spoke to Mary by an angel. And then you spoke to the shepherds by yet another angel. And Father, the reality, each of them were broken. Each of them showed their weakness in different ways. And but Father, I pray that we too, in 2019, would hear the words of Christ, be amazed that you would speak to us, even though we don't deserve so, and that you would use us for your glory that you would use us so that we would bubble over and tell the world about the love of Christ. Father, I pray this for me and I pray this for each of us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. This morning, we want to conclude again around the table. I think it's a, an appropriate way to send you off for your Christmas celebrations. But let's do it differently. We're a smaller crowd. It'll be a little tight up here, but let's all come together, uh, including our musicians. We're going to play some music at the back, uh, off the, the back, and we just gather around, I'll say a few words, and then I'll distribute the, the cup. And, and everybody come, but once we're here, uh, if, it's, if, it's a, if the Lord lays upon your heart that you should let the cup pass from you, we'll let you do that right there. There's no shame in that. But let's still all come together, okay?